0: Is that right? Am I using this one? How are you doing this morning? All right, that was that was good. I'm excited. Right. Um, I am super excited to be here. Um, for one, I just um, I just really come to cherish Sunday mornings, you know. I just I, I, I so appreciate this time and, and seeing you guys. But also, it's not all about you. Um, I was in uh, Illinois this week, uh, right outside of St. Louis, on the Illinois side. And we on on like Tuesday, I think it was uh, 28, and with 15 mile an hour winds. And so when I opened my car door, it was like, you know, because it was frozen shut. So that was that was pretty fun. Um, and in the midst of that 28 degrees. Um, 15 mile an hour winds, a tornado came right close to us, so that was fun too. Um, also, when it got really windy, uh, they have, if you've ever been to Illinois, um, just look at a picture of a field and that's all there is anywhere, just fields everywhere. So, when it got really windy, it blew all the dirt onto our car and then it hailed, and so then we had nice little brown spots all over the car. So, that was a heck of a lot of fun. And then when we left on Friday, it was 32 and super windy so we got in the car freezing to death we got out of the car um in new orleans and it was 72 and so it was super nice and we took our jackets off and we were sweating but it was i've never been so happy for 72 and muggy in march um so that was a lot of fun so i'm excited to be back um let me ask you a question Uh, I, i began to think when we were there we were thinking um you know, sometimes we think we could live anywhere. Maybe we'll go somewhere, you know, in a few years and we'll just do something. And then when we were up there, it was freezing. We were like, never mind. We're definitely in the right place. Um, but I, I began to think just in the midst of some of those crazy thoughts. Um, and I want to ask you the question, what matters most to you? Consider that for a minute and formulate an answer, right? Uh, what What matters most to you? Uh, This past week, what maybe mattered most to me was being warm. I was so incredibly cold. And I get cold when it's like 68, so at 32, I was freezing. Uh, What matters most to you? And what is the most important thing in the world to you? Got something on your brain? Um, Some of you probably think kids and you think all those different kind of things. But Let me tell you what we did this week. So we went to St. Louis. Jess's sister lives in St. Louis. They actually just crossed the border on, on the Illinois side, so that's why I switched back and forth. But we went up there. We did a heck of a lot of stuff. We went to the uh, went to the Arch, if you guys have ever been to the Arch. It was actually, Jessica went to St. Louis around like 15 years ago maybe, and the Arch was closed for repairs. And we went back, and the Arch was closed for repairs. So that, that was a lot of fun. But you still got to go up to it and all that kind of thing, but you couldn't go in it. So we went there. We did that. We did some other touristy stuff. We went to the anheuser Bush uh the tour of the brewery so that was kind of fun um they gave you free bud light which who would buy bud light that's why it's free there it was pretty disgusting but um we uh, we had a few sips of bud light we were like the only people in the whole building that threw away our whole cup um so anyway that was kind of fun They did have a good restaurant there, so that was fun. So we went there. We did all that that kind of stuff. Um, But what we did most of the time was we, honestly, we just went there to see her sister, and we kind of hung out at their house. They live on the Air Force Base uh, just outside of St. Louis. And Molly just, all we really did was she just ran around and played with her cousins. You know how when you're a kid, seeing your cousins is like the greatest thing in the world? Um, and literally, she just ran around the entire time. And every now and then, she was it was like having a babysitter. It was incredible. She just played. And every now and then, she would come by you, and she would run it to you, and she would just be like, eh, and just be like all screaming and just had to let some excitement out. And then she would run again. You wouldn't see her for like 15 more minutes. It was incredible. Um, but that's what I did on my week off. Instead of uh, staying home and relaxing and maybe going to a parade, Uh, We drove 20 hours to uh, have our whole family sleep in one bedroom, uh, to spend a lot of money, to sit on someone else's couch and have our kid play with their cousins. So that's what we did on our whole vacation. We did some other stuff too. But why do you do those kinds of things? I think that we do those kinds of things because uh, family matters to us. And so some of the things that matter most to us is, is our family. So we, you know, we drove up. We saw um, my little brother and little sister on the way up there. We also saw Austin preached a couple weeks ago. And um, so we, we had dinner with them. Then we drove up there. And then on the way back, we stopped and saw my mom and my stepdad had lunch or dinner or something in there with them. And so we, we our whole vacation, we just went around and made this big circle seeing family. And we came back and the grass had gotten taller. And uh, because grass grows here in March, unlike St. Louis, um, the grass had gotten taller. We had a bag full of laundry and all kind of stuff to do. And all the things that I had to do before I left, I still have to do now that I'm back. I spent all day Saturday hanging drywall. And so, um, but yet, even in the midst of all that, man, I just felt really full. You know, like I just felt like, uh, you know, like we had done the right thing and it was a heck of a lot of fun. Sometimes I get back from vacation and I just feel poor and like I should have just stayed home, you know, because I'm not really that rested and I still have a ton of stuff to do. But we got back from that and I just felt really full. The truth is, you don't have to tell me what matters most to you. I can just look at the things that you do that don't make a lot of sense and that'll tell me what matters. Um... It makes way more sense to relax and go to a parade and take your week to actually rest. It makes way less sense to drive 20 hours with a three-year-old. But that's what we did because family means a heck of a lot to us. So the question may not be so much what matters most to you, but what do your priorities say matters most to you? What are the things you prioritize, say, that's important to you? Because I may not say, you know, family is right there near the top of the list, but when you see how I spend my time and, and the kind of things that I do, then that becomes pretty clear. It's an important question asking you what you prioritize and what matters to you because I think you'll if you look across some, some different times in your life, you'll recognize the reality that prioritizing the wrong things, either now or later, leaves you feeling pretty empty leaves you longing for something that you thought you were going to get. And when you prioritize the wrong things and you get what you want, you find that what you really want is a little bit more of it. And if you ever got a raise, you realize the money you got was not quite as much as you needed. And in all the things, when you began to prioritize the wrong things, it never never ended up being quite as great as you thought it was going to be. And some of you are in the middle of that right now. And some of you have, have been there before and you don't want to go back. And some of, some of us are you know, are headed that way and, and don't even really know we're headed that way. But we've come to make things of utmost importance that really aren't that important. And we're headed to this place of, of a little bit of emptiness and a little bit of depression, all in the name of getting what we want. So I, I'm excited. I just want to spend a few weeks uh, just kind of getting our priorities straight. You know, not like uh, your high school guidance counselor used to say when you were failing your classes and you wanted to go to college or whatever. you got to get your priorities straight. You know, I'm not just going to yell at you like that. But just spend a few weeks uh, building on the truth and recognizing that all the promises of Scripture, all the things that Scripture promises that you can have that we talk about in here, like joy and peace in your relationships and, and pur- purpose and work in your family and all those kind of things and hope, you'll miss out on 100% of those things if you prioritize things that really aren't that important. And all those things that Scripture promises to the believer, you'll miss all of those if you prioritize all the wrong things. And you may say, man, you know what? The Scripture promises me so much, and I've been involved in church, and I've been coming real faithfully, but I'm still kind of in this place. And I would imagine, and if you examine your priorities, you'll say, man, I've really not been focusing on the things that are most important. And I would say that maybe that's kind of why you're where you are. And maybe that's why I am where I am in some areas in my life. So here we go. There's this guy in the Old Testament. I'm going to be transparent with you. I Googled how to say his name today um, because a couple of you know how to say his name, and some people may listen to the podcast and be like, this preacher doesn't know anything. So anyway, uh, I Googled his name because I wasn't exactly sure um, uh, because I think despite being featured in the best-selling book of all time, this guy kind of gets passed over a lot. His name is Haggai. If you've been saying it wrong all this time, you can pretend like you knew. So his name's Haggai. it's this little bitty book towards the end of the Old Testament. It's actually better probably if you go to the New Testament and flip back to it. Um, small book towards the end of the New, towards the end of the Old Testament. And Haggai was this prophet. So what happened around the time that he's writing this book and around the time that he's alive is in, in 586 BC, maybe you've heard that, that date before, um, Israel was taken captive. So literally, a group of people came in and and burned the temple. They burned a lot of people's homes. They burned their fields, everything that could really sustain life there. They just tore it to pieces, and then they took a large portion of the people, they put them in chains, and they led them away from their home. And so complete captivity completely ruined their homes, and that's where Israel's been living. About 50 years of living really as slaves in, in Babylon or in some of those Babylonian areas, about 50 years of doing that, a new king comes, his name's King Cyrus, and he releases almost all of these people, everybody that really wanted to go, he releases them to go back to Israel. And so they're finally allowed to go back, and so they're, they're on their way, and you can imagine. I mean, it's been 50 years, and so some of the young people that have been born, you know, they're not familiar with this land, and they didn't grow up here. But the rest of them have been dying to get back. And, I mean, they've been waiting much of their lives to be able to make this trip back. And so here they are on their way back, and they're super excited about being back. And they're going to rebuild the temple, and they're going to rebuild the city, and they've got all these big plans. And then you you can kind of picture it. It's like they they round the corner and they're really excited and they finally get to see this area where they used to live. And and when they get back 50 years later, it still looks exactly the same. And in all 50 years, nothing has happened. And so when, when Babylon came in and burned down the temple and it sat in ruins in ashes, they turned the corner and it still looks just like that. And 50 years ago, they burned all the fields, but then a few years ago, this big famine started. And so the fields look empty. There's not a lot of food there. There's dust on the roads. A lot of their houses in the city are still empty. 50 years later, they still look just the same as they did, ransacked, things on the floor. And so they're, they're so excited, but when they kind of turn the corner, this is what they see. Still kind of optimistic, they begin to, to build the temple and do all the things that they were excited about doing. And and as they begin to do that, they realize that, that people haven't moved into their city, but they've moved all around it. And not only are they back and they're trying to rebuild everything from scratch, but now a lot of people have moved in around them and they can't stand them. So they've got enemies to fight against. While they're trying to rebuild, they have virtually nothing. And so they just kind of give up on all the things that are that are most important to them, and they start focusing on everything else. They live like this for a long time. Sixteen years go by. So they this, this group of, of captives, they show up, and they kind of get discouraged, and they kind of live that way. Sixteen years go by. The temple is still in ruins, and it uh, sounds like some projects at my house, you know. Um, a long time passes by, and then this is, what, this is what Scripture says. It says, God stirs up Haggai. Have you ever had this feeling like, like God, like undeniably, it doesn't come to you very often, but undeniably, God wants you to move in this direction? I, I think that's what happens to Haggai. So it says, the Spirit stirs him up, and he gets tasked with getting all the people going again and getting them excited again, but largely reordering all of their priorities. So here we go. Take a look at the text. Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shethiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Um if I could pause for just a minute. Do you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, those of you that were in small group this particular week, when we talked about, you know, some people say scripture is like this book of fables and just stories and that kind of thing. But when you really begin to read it, it's like they really wanted you to know that this is a real story, right? In the second year, when King Darius was king... On the first day of the sixth month, like they're telling you everything. Um, this word came to Haggai. Uh, he gave it to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the son of Shethiel. You remember Shethiel? He's the governor of Judah. And then it also went to, you see how this reads? Man, it's, it's like a, a, it's a history book with a great lesson to learn. And so, I don't know, some, it just sometimes when I, when I see Scripture and I hear people say, oh, it's just a collection of, of stories that aren't really true that are meant to teach you something. And then you read it and it doesn't read like that at all. Anyway, that's just extra. That just came to me. Uh, Verse 2. In that time, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Because that's what everybody was saying. They're like, we haven't had time yet to rebuild the temple and to do all the things God has called us to do. So that's what they're all saying. And then verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? See, God kind of calls them out. They're like, we don't really have time to rebuild the temple. And God says, well, you had time to build homes for yourself, but yet the temple still stands in ruin. Verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says yet again. we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, for the God-breathed scripture that is here to tell us exactly what you want us to know. And so, God, today I pray that we would glean exactly what you've called for us to glean and see exactly what you've called for us to see. Amen. Uh, so this, to me, this story sounds eerily like me. Um, I'd like for once to read a story in the Bible and associate myself with the good guy. You know, like the person who's doing all the things right. But typically when I read a story about people doing all the things wrong, that's the one where I'm like, oh, that that sounds a lot like me. So here's what these people are saying. They're like, God, we just haven't had time to build the temple yet. right? We know that the temple is about is a place where we honor you and a place where we gather for worship. And we know all the good things there, but we just haven't had time to do that. It's just not really the right time just yet. And God responds to them and he says, well... You had time to build your own house. Some of you had time to build a second house. You had time to plant some crops. You had time to to relax and eat and drink. You had time to to get nice clothes. You had time to make a lot of money. It seems like you had a lot of time. The only problem with all that time is uh, it's not so much that you didn't have the time or the resources to build the temple and to begin serving God and to begin doing all those things. It's not so much that you didn't have the time. It's just that you'd rather focus your time on something else. And that sounds a lot like me. You know, I I mean, I complain constantly. I try to not complain to you guys as much, um, but I used to a lot. I still do sometimes, but sometimes I just complain about having too much to do and about all the things that happen in the week. But yet, you know, when it's football season, I find six hours in the week to watch a Saints game and an Ole Miss game. You know, I just find the time to, to do that. Sometimes I turn on the LSU game, um, only if they're getting beat, so I can be excited. Um, but, man, I find the time. Nope, no laughs. Everybody's asleep. Okay. Um, I find the time to do the things that, that, that are important to me. Um, and, that man, that's exactly what they're doing. God says, look where that got you. Look where focusing on yourself and on all the things that you can get over me. Look where that got you. He says to them, you've sown much, but you've harvested little means you planted like crazy and you worked really hard but not really that much came of it you eat and you've got plenty to eat but you just act like it's never enough and even though you've got a lot it's never enough for you you drink but you've never had your feel you clothe yourselves but no one is warm he's like man you've got so much for yourself but you're really not quite that satisfied and that really feels like the american way Uh, what I have now is not quite enough. I always just need a little bit more. It says, he who earns wages, earns wages only to put them in a bag with holes. Come on, that's all of us, right? I feel like I earn money to put it in something that just has holes in the bottom. Because even though I make more, and theoretically I should have more and save more than I used to, it seems like I just put my money in a bag with holes. And God says, this is where you found yourself because you've been prioritizing all the wrong things. And so what you find in Israel is that they're dissatisfied. And even though they've only been living for themselves, which you would think if you only look out for yourself, wouldn't that result in some good things happening for you? But he says, you've been living it for yourself, and you've been living in frustration and discontentment and and never really completely satisfied. And sometimes that's me. And I think if you're honest, sometimes it's a lot of us, always always wanting just a little bit more. See, when you prioritize your work and you spend most of your time at work, even when you get a promotion, you find that very quickly all the money is gone. Even when you get a better job, you find that no one is like, oh, wow, you got a better job. Now we really look up to you. This this is so exciting for you. All you find is that the new position comes with more headache than prestige. And you prioritize work, and you you want something out of it, but you don't tend to get it. You prioritize your kids. And what happens uh, sometimes when people spend all their energy and effort on their children? A couple things happen. Number one, sometimes kids get spoiled, right? They just, they're used to getting all the attention and everything. And so you thought you were doing something good by prioritizing them. But instead, you, you taught them to rely on you and to expect things that they shouldn't get. Sometimes you prioritize your kids and you you set up expectations that they could never live up to. And they feel it. And they feel it coming from you. And so we prioritize our kids and we feel like, man, this is a good thing. Like, this is the right thing to do. But bad things come from it. Sometimes you prioritize your stuff. My grandmother had a couch, really nice couch. Um, You could never sit on this couch. It was in the living room you didn't sit in. And, and this couch, even though no one ever sat on it, and it was in the living room you never sat in, it was covered in plastic. Anybody have one of those? I mean, you never... This couch, I mean, 50 years later, and it had to be 50 years old. It looked brand new. I mean, it was incredibly clean. But my grandma, she loved her stuff, and, and you could not sit on this couch. Children couldn't play on it, and it looked great. It was absolutely and completely useless. Man, sometimes I get a new shirt... I got a suit a few years ago. I've worn it four times because it's so nice, you know. And I'm so afraid that when I wear it, I'm going to get something dirty on it. And, man, sometimes we prioritize our stuff so much that we buy clothes we're afraid to wear. Sometimes we prioritize our stuff. Um, you Anybody ever got a new car? or just a car that was new to you, and all of a sudden you're filled with rage in the parking lot and on the interstate and anywhere that someone might scratch your car? I've never really had that feeling. Um, but you know what I'm saying. Sometimes we prioritize our stuff, and it matters to us, and it changes the way that we talk to other people. And we don't find that much satisfaction in it. And when we prioritize all these wrong things, the only common denominator is that it's never everything we thought it would be. And it's never everything that we anticipated. This message that he gives to them, it's for us too. It says if you devote yourself to sewing and to eating and drinking and clothing yourself and earning wages and all those kind of things, if you devote yourself to all that, but you neglect your faith. You pray very seldom, and you never really think about what you can do for someone else, and you're not really thinking about how you can share the gospel and how you can make a difference in the lives of people around you. He says what's going to happen is you're going to live in constant frustration. Do you sometimes feel like you're running in circles, like you're living in some amount of frustration? He says that's what that life yields. And even the greatest pleasures in life, even the most fun and the greatest things, sort of have this sour aftertaste of depression or guilt or frustration because it just didn't live up to what we wanted it to be. And in deep inside of you, there's this feeling that there's something more here that I need to be doing. And there's something greater that I need to be a part of. See, the reality is misplaced priorities leave us feeling pretty empty. And for a moment, it fills us up and makes us feel great. But largely, misplaced priorities leave us feeling pretty empty. So the big question to that is, well, what's the remedy? How do we fix that kind of thing? Do we sell everything that we work for? Do we neglect our children? You know, that one I can do. Like, like, what do we need to do to fix this problem? Because sometimes I do get that bit of an, of an empty feeling, or at least the feeling that I long for things that I don't have, and i love for that longing to be gone. I'd love to love right where I am. And I'd love to totally be about this space that I'm in right now. But the reality is, I mean, I don't want to focus on work and prioritize work, but I do have to make a living, and I'd still like to get promoted. I don't want to be making the same amount ten years from now that I'm making today. You know, like I have to prioritize those things somewhat. So how on earth do I reorder my priorities while, while still doing all the things that I need to do? In answering that question, I'll say this. Uh, When you have children, if you have children, you notice this. I used to have fun stories. Now they're all about children, right? Um, But when you have children, you say things that you never thought you'd say. You agree with that? Just this morning, um, Jeff said, ooh, these have pockets. Isn't that exciting? Like Pockets were never exciting. But when you have children, pockets are super exciting. Um, Yesterday, I said, uh, no, sweetie, you're never going to be a boy. You're always going to be a girl. And You never thought you'd have to explain that, but And I had to explain it. You say things like, stop balancing your food on the end of your tongue and swallow it. Because you don't generally see that many people doing that, but you have to say that when you become a parent. Uh, The other day I had to say, I don't know why there's a daytime and a nighttime. There just is. Um, And then you begin to make up stories about why there's daytime and nighttime. And, And you have to say all kind of things when you become a parent you never thought you'd say. I added a whole list of that when I became a, uh, when I started teaching, especially when I started teaching trades. I never thought I'd have to tell anybody to not hold the saw above their head and rev it up. Never thought I'd have to tell anybody to not hit the drywall or not hit the building with your hammer as hard as you can. Man, I had to say things all the time I never thought I'd have to say on a job site. The one that I say to students a lot, you ever find yourself saying things that your parents always said to you? Um, my dad said this to me all the time, and now I feel bad for my poor dad. But he said this to me all the time, and I say this to students all the time. I just say, think. You say that to your children? It seems so incredibly simple. But constantly, I'm like, would you just think before you do something? Would you just stop and think, you know? Um, but constantly, I'm encouraging them to think and then work. You ever worked with a a new employee, a young person who just constantly made mistakes, and you were like, was I like this before? Like when I first started working, was this me? Surely you knew that in an office with four people, we didn't need 400 copies of an inner office memo. You know, surely you could think through those things and not make those kind of mistakes. But yet, that's the kind of things that people do. Constantly, I'm telling students, constantly, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to Molly. I'm like, think that through. That's not very smart. When it comes to what we prioritize, here's what God said to them. He said, give careful thought to your ways. And he said it Twice. And when God says something twice, just like when you say something twice to your children, right, or when you say something twice to your spouse, that means you really want them to get it. He says, give careful thought to your ways. And in the same breath, he said this. He said, give careful thought to your ways. Now go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So what I would say is the solution to it all is to think about what you prioritize. Consider your actions. See, the sin is not in making a lot of money. No sin in that. The sin is not in spending a lot of time with your children. The sin is caring about yourself and other things to the neglect of God's purposes and to the neglect of God's glory. Consider why you're doing the things that you're doing. Why are you really doing them? Why are you really pursuing this or pursuing that? Think about it. No, nobody else is, is in your brain, right? So so just think about it for a minute and don't rationalize. Some of the things that you spend most of your time on, why do you do those things? Why do you do those things? Is it is it really, do you really have God's purposes in mind or is it largely your own purpose? Man, I see some parents and they are all about kids' ball games. Man, my dad was like that. I mean, we played baseball and summer league and then fall league, and then whatever else leagues you had. You know, we just played it all the time. And, and what I really think is that, you know, my dad, he pushed us to do every bit of that because he liked it. And, and, and in some ways, he was kind of living vicariously. My dad always wanted to play sports. They owned a dairy farm. I'm from the country. They owned a dairy farm. Uh, they couldn't get him to practice, couldn't get him back home. He never got to do any of those kind of things. And in a lot of ways, he was just kind of living vicariously. You know, he was he was getting the opportunity to do those things he didn't get to do. And so he spent a lot of good time with us. Those were fun times. But I think that his purpose sometimes is a bit misguided. What is your purpose for doing a lot of the things that you do? Sometimes in the name of providing for my family, I just work too much. And and, and I act like, oh, I'm I'm just being a provider. I'm just doing the things that are important. But sometimes it's a worry that God's not going to provide, and so I've got to make the way myself. And sometimes it's just a real ambition to move up. And I say, well, I got to work and I got to provide for my family, but really it's just some selfish ambition to do something really big and to have people look at me and say, man, look what Adam accomplished. Why do you really do those things that you do? Here's what I'll say, and boy, this is so true for me. The longer you prioritize yourself, the further you get from real joy, and the further you get from godly contentment, and the further you get from a lack of wanting. And the more you prioritize things other than God, the further you get from the things that you really, really want. Do you really want people around you, your sister, your son, your daughter, your cousin, your uncle, somebody that you work with that you're really close to, do you really want those people to know Jesus and to follow him, to experience that life-changing thing of of what it means to be a Jesus follower? Each time you, you prioritize yourself, you create a new roadblock in them for following Jesus. And you create a new roadblock in their ability to see Jesus in you every time you prioritize yourself. Every time, talking about me here, Every time I direct my life, uh, especially professionally and at work, every time I, I, I make a decision at work without regard to how does this affect my family or, or what is this going to do for the church, you know, like why am I really here? Why am I really doing these things? Every time I make a decision and I don't consider those things and I take on a new project or I do something bigger, every time I do that, man, the church suffers and my family suffers. And I see it and I feel it. And I wish I could tell you that over the course of the past three years I hadn't done it multiple times, but I just really have. And even when I get what I want, and and even when I get the, the raise or the, you know, or whatever that I was shooting for, even when I get it, after it's all said and done, it never really feels worth it. Because then I just feel like I just gotta reorder everything to now focus on what's important all over again. And I'm there right now trying to to reorder some things to say, I've got to focus on what God has called me to be all about, and that is making much of him and being a good father, a godly father, and being a good pastor. And, And every time that I focus on that, I feel so much better. And I feel full. And I feel like even though I'm not making that much money, man, I feel like I'm doing what God has called me to do, and that is incredible. And even when it doesn't benefit me financially, man, I just feel full. And every time I do the opposite, I feel like I've still got somewhere to go even when I've reached the end. So as we wind up, just ask yourself this yet again. um, What do my actions, the things that I do on a daily basis, where I put my time and my money and all those things, what do my actions say that my priorities are? Like if you just looked at my life, if you didn't know me at all and I just gave you my calendar and my checkbook... What does that tell you about the things that I prioritize? Is anything other than God's glory and his purpose on the top of the list? If you look at your calendar and your checkbook, do you barely see those things reflected at all? Based on the amount of time and the devotion and the money and the things you put into everything else? So I'm excited to spend a few weeks kind of reprioritizing I always get a jump on you because I get to kind of do this a week before you do as, as we walk through this. But I, I'm excited even just beginning to, to walk through all these things because what I really want is I want to be content with being right where God has called me to be. And I want to not long and not want for something else. And I really want to do what leads to more people knowing and following Jesus. And, and I know that doing that is all about prioritizing God and his purpose in my life. I want my wife and my daughter to see a dad who honors God above all else. God, I thank you for uh, the truth of your word. And God, I thank you that when we dig into it, it's ever so clear what is most important. And that is making much of you. And that is praising you.